we talked a little bit last week about um, this idea of if only, right? If only I had blank, if only I did these things, uh, my life would be so much different than it is now. Ultimately, we were talking about regret, and everybody in the room was kind of shaking their heads, yeah, I got some regrets in my life. If you weren't shaking your head last week, you're a liar, because we all have a little bit of regret in our life, whether it be big or small. Regrets, uh, they take us to dark places. They often make us wonder what we could have been, what things could have been different in my life if only I had done these things. But we recognize that we don't always have to regret things, that there's so many things that happen in our lives that we don't necessarily have control over, but that regret needs to be transformed into redemption. And last week we saw that take place in how David interacted uh, in, in comparison to how uh, Saul interacted. The difference is there. Uh, but this week we're going to have a similar spin. Last week was about regret, but this week is all about opportunity, which is a good thing, Right? Opportunity is a lot better than regret, but I want to pause and say that not every opportunity is a good opportunity. Not everything that's presented before you is something that you should be taken on. It is not always an open door to lead you to greener pastures. Sometimes an opportunity is just an opportunity. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Samuel chapter 21. That's where we're going to be today. And last week, maybe you left thinking, I'm excited. I'm not going to have any more if-only moments in my life. I'm going to jump at every opportunity that ever comes before me. I hope that we rethink that a little bit this evening, or this, excuse me, this morning together as we study 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22. So I'll be reading 1 Samuel 21, verses 1 through 3. David went to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered him like the priest, the king sent me on a mission and said to me, no one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on your hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. And I just want to mention here that it is odd that David is alone and Ahimelech is seeing this and he is genuinely curious about what is taking place, right? And, and what I take away from this is that David is known by many people. And we talked a couple weeks ago about just how known he is for his military acts, right? They talked about Saul kills thousands, David kills tens of thousands, right? He has this reputation. And when Ahimelech is met by David alone, his kind of hanky meter is going off. Something is happening. What is taking place? And I find it interesting that David, he tells him what's going on, but not really. Right? He gives him some half-truths. He doesn't say anything about Saul. He says, the king has sent me on a message. Who is David talking about? I don't know. He could be talking about God because God is his king. He could be talking about himself because he is a king. David is being as ambiguous as possible at this moment. It seems that he is trying to keep things secrets, right? He needs food, and he only has the option to have this consecrated bread. And, and, and if you're not aware of this, there was this bread that was in the temple that only the priests could take part of, right? It was before God, and it was kind of this sacred bread. And the only bread that Ahimelech can give to David is this consecrated bread. And you might be remembering this story uh, from when Jesus is, uh, is going about and he's teaching this, these parables and he's doing these things. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus and his disciples, they go through and they gather grain. And the Pharisees in typical fashion say, hey, you ought not do that because you're working on the Sabbath. 
Remember this? Nod your heads if you're with me. You remember this, okay? And what does Jesus say to him? He, he talks about how the Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. This is all kind of coming full circle here as we read the context, okay? So David is here, and he's looking for, for some food, and the only thing that he can have is this consecrated bread. So after determining that, okay, these guys are ceremonial clean enough to have this bread, Ahimelech gives them this bread. In verse 7, uh, before we get to verse 7, uh, we have this, this situation where the Ahimelech is asking these questions, right? He says, have your men done certain things? And David's like, no, we never do those things before we got into battle. And eventually he relents and says, okay, I'm going to give you this bread. And David is fed and things are great for a very, very brief moment, okay? In verse 7, something takes place here. And I want you to remember this, okay? So David, he goes to Ahimelech and in verse 7, now one of Saul's servants was there that day. Detained before the Lord, he was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. This is the moment, if this is a movie, this is the guy you don't want to see, right? And maybe you're experiencing this when you go out to Walmart or Publix and you see somebody you don't want to see. I like, mean, I hope they don't see me. I'm just shopping here. Please don't have a conversation with me. Please. Oh, hey, how's it going? You know, uh, <laughs> maybe you've had an experience like that. Not me, though. Nobody, I'm just kidding. Uh, we all know what I'm talking about, but this is the point where you do not want to see this person because Doag, we don't know much about him, but we're going to find a little bit more about him in a minute. Okay, and the question is, okay, why is Doag here? He's an Edomite. What does that mean? The only thing we need to know right now is that he is not an Israelite. He is not a Hebrew. He is not a Jew, but he works for Saul. And if you're David and you see a guy who works for Saul, are you excited or are you not excited? Shake your heads like this. He is not excited to see Doag, I imagine. But he is there nonetheless. And if you're saying, Jimmy, okay, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a student, and I understand that. Why, why is Doag at the temple? Why is he, what does this say right here in verse 7? Why is he detained before the Lord? What is going on? There's a lot of things that could be going on. Uh, Doag could be ceremonial unclean, so he has to go sit before a priest and have some kind of cleansing go on. Maybe he's traveling and he doesn't want to travel on the Sabbath. And you're still asking me these questions. Jimmy, why is he there, though? Because he's not a Hebrew. It seems that through all the, the ventures and all the battles that this person came to be with Saul through some kind of servitude. He seems to be, uh, I don't know, we, we don't know too much history about him, but he could be of service to Saul because they lost a certain particular battle and maybe he climbed the ranks to be second or right next to uh, Saul here in this way. Whatever it is, Doag sees David and in that moment, he sees an opportunity. He sees him there being uh, fed by him like the priest and Doag tracks that and says, I'm going to remember that for later. And he will remember that for later, and we're going to get there in a second. But you might not be aware of, of, of Doag's heritage, but I just want to remind you of something we've already talked about, kind of in passing in 1 Samuel chapter 14. So if, you're, if you have your Bibles, be in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 47 through 48. See if this reminds you of anything. After Saul had assumed rule over Israel, he fought against their enemies on every side. Moab the Ammonites, Edom, the kings of Zobah, and the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he inflicted punishment on them. He fought valiantly and defeated the Amalekites, 
delivering Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. Does one of those names stick out more than the other? Doag the Edomite. Saul is going around persecuting the enemies on every side. Moab, the Ammonites, Edom. The Edomite, Doag, is in service to Saul. Very, very likely that he was captive by Saul. Very likely that wherever he was, he no longer can go back to because of Saul, right? Close enough to Saul that to see David, that he sees an opportunity because he knows that Saul does not like David. And I guarantee you, Doag probably doesn't like Saul very much. And so in that time, he sees the opportunity and says, I'm going to take advantage of this later on. So moving forth from the story back in 1 Samuel chapter 21, uh, David not only takes this consecrated bread, but Ahimelech actually gives him the sword of Goliath, right? That, that this has happened several, a, a long time ago at this point, that he gets the sword of Goliath and he now is, is, is uh, armed for his journey. And this is, this is uh, significant because now he, David's kind of going from town to town and he's encountering people that he's not sure about where he stands with them. Look here in verse 10 of chapter 21. That day, David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their, in their dances? Saul has slain thousands and David has tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Crazy, okay? Akish said to his servants, look at this man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? So David, not only is he armed with the sword of Goliath, but he's armed with intuition because he's going from town to town. He's fleeing Saul, and he's trying to do everything he possibly can do in his power to not be captive by Saul, even to the point where he's letting saliva trickle down his beard, right? I'm not going to do that for you this morning, but maybe you can imagine that. But it's one of those things where David is very keen. He knows what he's doing. He's going from town to town, armed with the sword of Goliath, armed with this intuition, but most importantly, like we all know in here, he's armed with the Holy Spirit, right? He has the Spirit. He's this vessel of God, and he knows kind of how to go about, about his business. Uh, but Saul, uh, he starts to make trouble for David along the way. Saul eventually hears certain things, and he's going to make sure that David is stopped at some point. So in, in chapter 22, verses 7 through 8, this is Saul talking to his people, okay? He said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give you all the fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does this day. So Saul is hearing all these things, and he's finally getting kind of word that David is not on his side. And he's saying, all you guys knew about this and didn't tell me. And remember last week, I, I was wondering kind of out loud, I wonder if Saul had somebody in his life to stand up to him and say, hey, hey Saul, you're acting kind of crazy right now. <laughs> we all need that person. It didn't seem like Saul had that person. 
And now he's kind of confronting them saying, you guys all knew this and you didn't tell me? What is going on? And now remember the opportunity that Doag had a little bit ago is going to come to fruition here in chapter 22, verses 9 and 10. But Doag the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, the son of Atub, and Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions in the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. The opportunity arose and Doag jumped at it in order to weasel his way closer to Saul to give him what Saul wanted, which was some kind of track towards David. And so at this, of course, Saul is not happy. We know how Saul responds to these kind of things. So he sends for Ahimelech, why did you help David? He's imploring to him, why did you help David, this guy that, that I am obviously against? Why did you help him? But Ahimelech actually gives him the perfect answer, okay? In verse 14 and 15, this is what he says. Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law, you, Saul, your son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired to God for him? Of course not. Let the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. So Ahimelech does the best arguing that he possibly can. He says, of all the people you want to go after, it's David? What sense does that make? And do you think I'm doing anything out of the ordinary that I haven't done already for David? Of all people, you're going to accuse me of helping the guy I ought to be helping the most? But the problem with Saul is that he does not see this as clearly as we see it today. He sees these words and he sees it as treason. And just like Saul tends to do, verse 16, And the king said, You will surely die, Himlech, you and all your family. Rationality is not Saul's strong suit. Um, he's heard enough. And to him, it's time for David to die. Um, but the problem is, is that people are going to actually start kind of standing up to Saul in this way. Continuing on here, uh, he asks his men to go and kill all these priests, but the people of Israel, they won't do it. They just simply will not kill all these priests. So Saul's caught at a crossroads. I told, I said to him, like, you're going to die, and none of my men are going to do it. What is Saul going to do? He's going to ask somebody else to do it. And do you know who he's going to ask? Doeg, the Edomite. Verses 18 and 19. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put the sword to Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, its cattle, donkeys, and sheep. Doeg saw his opportunity. He took his opportunity by inciting more rage within Saul. And then it was only a matter of time before Saul took Doeg and inflicted punishment on his own people. And I, and I guarantee you that Saul does not see the irony in this whole situation. Right? He does, he, there's no way he sees the irony. Because the exact people that he was opposing, he is now employing to kill his own people. 
Do you see that? The Edomites that he was, that he was fighting at every turn, 1 Samuel 14 said, he's now employing them, telling him to go do his business against his own people. It doesn't make any sense. But that's where Saul is right now. So we land here. Um, we have several different characters that we talked about in 21 and 22. All of them face different opportunities along their way. Right? Ahimelech was faced with the opportunity to encounter David and to inquire for the Lord and do what was right before the Lord. He inquired and God allowed him to give the bread to David. Right? David had the opportunity to go from town to town and be led by the Spirit and do kind of crazy things, but ultimately do what the Spirit was leading him to do. Saul had the opportunity in that moment to wake up and say, hey, what? my people aren't willing to do my bidding. Maybe I should rethink some things. And of course, Doeg had the opportunity to do exactly what Doeg wanted to do. It's one of those things where I bet you there's a history. If there was a, a movie about a, a second telling of this from Doeg's perspective, the Edomites would be really excited about Doeg. Because the story goes really great for him. But not for God's people. And not for God's king. And a lot of people suffer because of this. But all of these things, I see them all as different little opportunities that come in their paths. So this morning, I want you to think about an opportunity that you've had in your life. It can be a small opportunity, it can be a big opportunity, maybe from work, family, relationship, whatever it is, I want you to have something in your mind right now, okay? Whatever it is, think about it. I've had a lot of opportunities uh, working in ministry, some really fun opportunities. Uh, when I first started going to youth ministry, I started taking teenagers to Panama, the country, uh, and we would go to this village that's like two and a half hours west of Panama City, and it was the most beautiful place I've ever been. These waterfalls that literally no one was at. We were swimming in with kids, and we were doing all these cool things. And it was a really, really fun experience to be able to travel and take kids to see these different places and to, and to worship with different people across, you know, the ocean. I, I've been able to, one time I was in a small group with a group of men, and uh, we decided to go skydiving. That was really fun. <laughs> They even paid for me to go. I didn't have any money at that time. They're like, hey, you're, you're part of our group. You're skydiving with me. I was like, sweet. Let's do this. It, it was really, really fun. And I could go on and on about the little things in ministry, that I've, the opportunities that have come in my way. But when I think about opportunities, there's also a, a different side to opportunity, and that's opportunity cost. You guys ever heard of this before? Every opportunity also has a cost. In line of opportunity, when you say yes to something, you're also saying no to something else, right? So when I go to Panama, the opportunity cost is the, obviously the money that you have to spend, but there's also the other little things baked into it. Like, I'm spending eight days, nine days away from my family, which, you know, that's time I'll never get back. It's, it's a week. I know it's not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, but when you got little kids, you got to think about that thing, right? Those things. The opportunity cost of skydiving. What if I, my parachute doesn't work? <laughs> That's a big cost. And I'm sure you can think about all the opportunities that you've had and think about what it costs you to have those, whether they're good or whether they're bad. But every single opportunity has a cost. Where you say yes, you also say no. And we often don't take it into consideration if the opportunity is so great right before our eyes. 
right? I, I, I'm a little bit older than I was when I went, but now I, I don't know if I'm gonna go skydiving again. <laughs> Maybe when my kids are grown, grown, but there's all these things that run through your mind. It's like, geez, Jimmy, that was kind of silly to jump out of a perfectly functioning airplane. It was really fun and I highly recommend it. Uh, but I might wait a little bit before I do it again. But when there's these things in front of you, it's sometimes so hard to say no to that you don't say no and you don't really count the cost the opportunity presents to you. So this morning I want us to ask the question, what can these people that we read about today, all these different characters, tell us about the opportunities we face today and the inherent cost of those opportunities as well? What do these opportunities tell us? The first thing is that not, excuse, not all opportunities are worth the cost. I kind of just expressed that, but it's one of those things where I wish Saul, there, there's so many benchmarks for Saul to weigh what he was doing against what could happen in the future for him, right? There's so many opportunities for Saul to stop and to look around and say, wait, I'm God's anointed king. I don't have to do this. <laughs> I can just be God's anointed king and lead his people but he sees these little opportunities to get David here and to get David here and to finally get David, but he keeps failing and he doesn't wake up. And we often do the exact same thing. We have these opportunities, whether it be job or, or whatever it is, and we keep taking them and taking them. But every time we say yes to those things, we're saying no to other things as well. Whether that be time with your family, time with your church family, time to just be in the community sharing the gospel, whatever it is. I know that's very, very broad, but you know what I'm trying to say. The more that we stretch ourselves thin, the more that we occupy our time doing other things, we give our time, ourselves less time to do other things that we might be better served to do. Not all opportunities are worth the cost. The second thing is that, that I learned from this is that we need to make our hearts more like Christ's heart. Emulate our actions to be more like Christ's actions because... None of what Saul is doing here, none of what Doag is doing here is really emulating Christ in any way. And I know Christ isn't on the scene yet. I understand that. We're in the Old Testament still. But jumping forward where we sit today and we look at all the opportunities and people and things we experience today, if we emulate our hearts more like Christ, opportunities look a whole lot different. You see what I mean? I've had so many times, uh, and I, 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 know I talk about this a lot, on Tuesdays at Food Pantry, when I'm just walking, and then all of a sudden people are just gushing their life to me without asking. <laughs> I might say, how are you doing? Well, <laughs> and then I'm sitting by their car for 10 minutes, right? Um, and maybe if I'm in a hurry or maybe if I'm not in the right mindset, I don't see that little conversation as an opportunity to just speak Christ into their life. But really, that's a golden opportunity to just be Christ to that person in that moment, but when I try to make my heart more like Christ, everything becomes an opportunity to share Jesus. Every single thing. I, I, it, I've, I've talked about this before. It's, it's a bad prayer to, to pray if you're not ready for the consequences of that prayer, right? To see opportunities to share Christ in your life. Because when you pray that prayer, Christ is going to put them before you. And maybe it was the exact same opportunity as it was yesterday as it is today. But when you are trying to have your heart more like Christ you have a lot more to do and to say. And that can be intimidating. But the more that our hearts are patterned after Christ, the more we're going to see how he acts in our lives. 
And that's something I talk about a lot too, is that when you look at the Gospels and you look at the miraculous healings of Jesus, you're like, I can't do that. I can't turn water into wine. I can't multiply bread and fish. I can't make a person walk who can't walk. I can't do those things. But the most impactful thing that Jesus did was that he took every opportunity that he had to share his Father's love with whoever he encountered. The opportunity was always there, and Jesus was the master communicator, always taking the opportunity. So we need to pattern our hearts to be more like Christ's heart. And that leads us to what my third kind of point today, is that when we do that, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, wow, that was really southern. (laughs) 7 through 8, all right. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 becomes a whole lot more attainable. I'm just going to read this one more time. Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And as a kid, I read this, this verse, and I said, that's not true. Because I asked for this for Christmas, and I didn't get it. I knocked and I didn't receive X, Y, and Z. Like, this must not be for me. But you see, it's because I don't think my heart was patterned after Christ's heart. Because when you ask for that to be more about who you are as a person, this becomes a whole lot more true. When you ask for what Christ would ask for, you receive that. When you seek what Christ would seek for, you will find it. And when you knock, the door will definitely open before will be open for you if you have the heart of Christ in your life. And I'm not saying this as if it's a like, cure-all, like today you can pray this prayer and, and it's done, but this is a lifelong journey. Seeing those little opportunities placed before you, saying, how can I be like Christ in this opportunity right now? Not every single second of every day you're going to be triumph and be perfect, but in this one opportunity, how can I be more like Christ? And then sooner... The sooner that you do that, the more that you do that, you recognize it's not as hard as it seems. This becomes a whole lot more attainable. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you if you pattern your heart after Christ. You'll see more opportunities. You'll see that you see people differently. You might not be as angry when you recognize how much grace you have been given that you can give it to other people. Because Christ had an opportunity on earth and he could have taken one look at us and been like, you know what? They're not worth it. Maybe that's what I would have done. These people are awful. They want to kill me. They say mean things to me all the time. They doubt who I am. They doubt what I've been sent to do. But that's not the posture of Christ, is it? Absolutely not. He had the opportunity to say no and he didn't. And for that, we're able to sit here today and just celebrate Christ's birth. We're able to celebrate so many things. So I implore you to take this verse seriously, Matthew 7, 7 through 8, and say, this, is, this could be a reality for me if I change my heart to emulate Christ. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for uh, all the opportunities you give us in life. And this, this, this morning we talk about all these characters between Doag and Saul and Ahimelech and David and we're, we might get lost in the weeds saying, okay, this is not for me. This is for somebody else. But God, all those people had opportunities and will continue to have opportunities. It just depends 
on whether or not they take it. Counting the cost, what am I giving up? What am I saying yes to and also saying no to in the same breath? God, help us to recognize that when we choose you, we have plenty of opportunities to share you. Help us to say yes to you more than we say no. Every day, help, it to, help us to grow stronger in this way. Help us to grow and to find how we can be more like you and emulate your actions on this earth. So just let me pray. Amen. We offer this time, if anybody has any needs, if they want to come forward and say, you know what, I want to be better at this. I want to emulate this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and find all these things. I want to experience this. I want my heart to be more like Jesus. If you have any needs at all, we want to invite you to come forward. And if you want to say, I don't know what to do next, please also come forward. But like I say every week, you don't have to come forward right now. But please talk to somebody today as we stand and sing.